Well, it's good to be with you all this morning. Uh, good to see you all. And uh, again, um, we are in the middle of a, a series on God's good design, sexuality, gender, and the gospel. And uh, I've been encouraged by a lot of just feedback I've gotten from many of you. And, and hopefully this has been a helpful series. I know this is kind of a little bit abnormal, a little bit out of the norm of maybe some of the things that we typically talk about, but we want to make sure that we're covering all of the Scriptures, as Paul would say, the the full counsel of God. Uh, We want to walk through Scripture and equip you with what God says, with with what the Word of God says, because all of it is true and all of it's good for our lives, good for us. Um, Especially as we think about this morning's theme, uh, the, the very goodness of male and female. I know that's kind of a, maybe a funny title, but the, the very goodness of male and female from Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, I, I want us to draw our attention to the goodness of God in creation, the goodness of God and how he created us as mankind, but also specifically the way that God has made us as male and female. And actually to, to start our time, before we get to Genesis 1, I want you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 139. This is a well-known psalm. Uh, it's, a, it's a beloved psalm for many of us. And right there in the middle of Psalm 139, David writes these words in verses 13 to 16. Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16. The Word of God says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. These are sweet words in this, in this precious psalm, Psalm 139, that speaks of God's nearness, His omniscience, not just that He knows us from afar, but He knows us up close and personal, not only that He knows our, our past, but He knows our future. He even knew us uh, intimately before we were even born. Here it talks about how He formed our inward parts. He knitted us together in our mother's womb. There's a, there's a personal, close nature to these words of how this is being described. And especially there in verse 14, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. This morning, I wonder as we start off, I wonder if you have considered this, that because we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that we would praise God. Our, our bodies are an amazing thing. I don't know if you've ever realized this, uh, perhaps with age, it feels less amazing. I was just joking with the Sunday school class uh, earlier that, you know, it's very clear our, our bodies are falling apart. I can hardly get up the stairs without losing my breath. But even still, our bodies are an amazing thing, are they not? God has designed us to, to heal when we get injured. God has designed us to uh, be able to process food like ice cream, steak, mashed potatoes and gravy with some bacon sprinkled on top just because. Our bodies are amazing. They are amazing, and we are indeed fearfully and wonderfully made, and so we can praise God. And this morning, I want to consider, I want us to consider what it means that God made us, not only in His image, but that God made us male and female, and then declare that it was very good. Because in understanding this, this helps us to praise God. This helps us to live faithfully for Him. This helps us to live 
representing him well as his image bearers. I want us to, to think about and consider these things, and especially uh, this, this series, God's Good Design, Sexuality, Gender, and the Gospel. I want to talk about the goodness of God's design, and, and next week we will talk about some of the ways that the world has confused this, some of the ways that there is so, so much confusion and hurt and sorrow out there, and maybe even in some of your hearts here this morning. We're going to talk about the flip side of that next week, but this morning we want to talk about the positive side, God's good design, His very good design for male and female. And I especially want to make sure I'm, I'm aware of some of our young people in the room, uh, our, our teenagers, but even younger, our, our children, elementary school and younger, because this is an area that I want you to know what God's Word says. I want you to know. I remember a, a pastor um, uh, said this one time, that you may wait to teach your children the truth, but the world will not wait to teach them a lie. And that stuck with me as a young father. And so I want to teach you the truth. I want you to know the truth. I want you to know not just the truth, but I want you to know the goodness of God's truth that you would love it, that you'd embrace it, you would rejoice in it. So with that, I want you to turn in your Bibles back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. And we've got three points this morning. God's goodness in creation, God's goodness in male and female, and then God's goodness in manhood and womanhood. I know you might be wondering what's the difference there, and, and we will talk about that. So starting in Genesis chapter 1, I want you to consider God's goodness in creation. God's goodness in creation first. Now, I'm going to kind of fly through some things in Genesis 1, but I want you to catch some things as well. In Genesis 1, starting in verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, in this introductory statement here, it says the earth was, form, was without form and void. Without form meaning there was, there was chaos. It was not structured. It, there was, it was formless, but also void, meaning it was empty. Now, I remember reading through those words many times and not really catching the significance of those two descriptions and then the rest of the days of creation. But this is set up intentionally by God. As Moses records the creation of the world, there is a structure to this that is beautiful. There's a structure to this that points to God's intentionality, that points to God's wisdom, that points to God's goodness. And so that's why this first point is God's goodness in creation. He says it was without form and void. And guess what he does in days one, two, and three? In days one, two, and three, he gives form. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and then darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. He creates light, and he separates it from the darkness. He separates the light from the dark to give order, to give order. Day 2, he separates the waters above from the waters below, creating the sky. There's more separation. There's more form being given. Now there are waters below, and there's a sky, an expanse in the middle. Day three, it says that he gathers the waters together. In, to, uh, he gathers the water, water together so that dry land would appear. Again, he's giving form. So first he, he gives form and structure to the light and the dark. Then he gives form to the sky and then he gives form to the land and the seas in day three. 
So that solves the first word that the earth was without form. By the way, just an interesting note, the plants he creates on day three as part of the form and the structure of the earth. That's, that's why plants take on a different significance than animals do, which were made on day six. Just tuck that away. It was a freebie for you. Day four, though, day four in verse 14 It says, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons, for days and years. Let them be lights. Let them have uh, be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. Again, I just want you to see that this is not accidental or random in the order that God is doing these things. On day one, he separates the light from the darkness. So on the corresponding day, day four, he fills the, the day and the night. He fills the sky during the daytime with the sun. He fills the sky, the heavens, with the moon and the stars at night. So what he forms on day one, he fills on day four. Look at day five. Day five is when he lets the the waters, verse 20 says, swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So on day two, when he formed the the sky, not the heavens. The the first day was uh, the heavens and the light and the dark. The second day is the the sky, the expanse, and also the seas below. Then so on day five, he fills the sky with birds. He fills the sea with, with, with fish, with the sea creatures. So what he forms on day two, he fills on day five. And then on day three, he formed the earth. So on day six, he fills the earth with living animals. That's where we get to verse 24. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. But that's not where he stops. He's he's formed the earth. He's formed it and he's filled it. It's no longer without form. It's no longer void. There's this order in God's creation. There's intentionality in God's creation. That's what I want you to get here. Everything was good, everything was good, everything was good, and it was orderly, it was intentional, it was planned, it was not accidental or chaotic. And then verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Verse 28, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over everything, over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And just jumping down here to verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was not only good, it was very good. There was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And of course, on the seventh day he rested and that was the creation week What I want you to see and notice here is that God had intentionality. God was wisely doing this with a purpose. And it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. But the crowning jewel of God's creation was to make mankind in his own image. And after that point, when there was mankind, male and female, in his image, set over the earth to rule over the earth with a good, benevolent rulership, with as good kings and queens, so to speak, 
He looked at everything, and he didn't just say it was good. At that point, he said, it was very good. It was very good. Not only do I want you to see the order and the intentionality, I want you to see the goodness of creation. I want you to understand the goodness of creation. I think some of us have a wrong conception sometimes that the physical stuff is bad. The spiritual is good. Or the physical is secondary. The spiritual is primary. There's an extent to which I understand that mindset, but there's actually a certain error in that that's unhelpful. Have you ever had somebody say to you, you know, the whole idea of heaven sounds really boring. I really love the things I do here on earth. I love fishing. I love cooking. I love eating. I love my friends. Um, I really don't have a desire to sit on a cloud for eternity playing a harp. Have you ever heard somebody say something like that? Or maybe have you ever thought that, okay, with every eye closed, every head bowed, right? (laughs) I want you to see here, God is the one who made the physical world, and God said it was not only good, but very good. And that's why when Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't just rise as a spirit and say, the body is still there, but that doesn't matter. Here's the spirit That's not what happened. Jesus rose from the dead bodily. The tomb is empty. When he rose from the dead, he was, in a sense, saying, God is not done with the physical world. God is redeeming not only your soul, but your body, because you are are one person, body and soul together. You're not just, here's some dust that happens to have a soul inside. No, you are your body and soul together, united together. And so when Jesus rose from the dead, That was a sign that God is redeeming not just the spiritual realm, but the whole realm, because all of it was good, all of it was very good, and all of it will one day be redeemed and perfect and restored to new. That's why the new heavens, new earth does not talk about, in Revelation 21 and 22, at the end of of time, it's not talking about us floating on clouds playing harps, but it's talking about us on a restored new heavens and new earth. Every good thing you've ever experienced in this life will be there in heaven, but a billion times better. The most beautiful sunset you've ever seen and you thought, wow, will be a billion times better in heaven. The most meaningful human friendships you have had, the most meaningful human relationships, even marriage that you have now, the the intimacy, the, the love, the joy from that will be a billion times better there when sin is no more. There won't be human marriage, but there will still be human relationships. God said it is not good for man to be alone. That was true in the garden. That will be true in the new Jerusalem as well. God made us to love him, yes, and God made us to be in community with one another as well. Those are not contradictory. So I want you to understand here first the goodness of God in creation, God's goodness in creation. But not only that, I want you to see here In verse 27, that God created male and female in his image equally, equally. And so this gets us to the the second point here, God's goodness in male and female, God's goodness in male and female. And by that, I'm talking specifically 
about the biology, about, about a, 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 a biological male and a biological female. The next point is about manhood and womanhood, which is more about how we live out those roles. So in Genesis 1.27, it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. He creates mankind in his own image. We are the only creatures on the planet that are made in his image. We represent him. We can know him in a unique way that, that your pet golden retriever cannot. That your fish, as much as you might love your fish, I guess, does not. We represent God. We bear his image. We can know him and love him in a unique and meaningful way. Because we're made in his image, and it says that he created a male and female. Both men and women are made in the image of God, equal in worth, equal in dignity. No one is higher than the other. No one takes precedence or supremacy over the other. Mankind, male and female, are equal in the sight of God, made equally in the image of God. But this is Genesis 1, and this is kind of the, the big picture view. But then in Genesis 2, God zooms in and gives us some more detail about the creation of mankind. It's interesting. We just get the God said, God said, God said, and it was so about everything else. But about mankind, we get some more details, and it's amazing. I I want you to look at, uh, well, I'll, I'll just summarize. You know that he created Adam from the dust of the earth. He formed him with dust. He didn't just speak. He formed Adam out of the dust and then breathed into him. And so that's why we are both body and soul, dirt and the breath of God. We have value in that way. We have the the image of God, the dignity of God, even if I can put it this way, the breath of God in us. So he made man from the dirt first. But then look at verse 15. The Lord, this is Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And so God gives that first command to Adam, well, to Adam first. Then you go down to verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. Let me just pause there. If you've been reading Genesis 1 and 2, you've heard it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. And then on the sixth day, it was very good. And this is amazing. This is wonderful. But we realize now that if you zoom in on that sixth day, after God had created Adam, there was a pause. He didn't create Eve at the exact same time. He didn't create them in the exact same way. There was a pause. And during that pause, for the first time ever, God said something was not good. There was something not good, and the not goodness was that man was alone. So what's, the, what's the, the remedy? He says, I will make him a helper fit for him. I'll make him a helper fit for him. Now, what's interesting is the very next verse does not tell us that God made a helper fit for him. The very next verse is an animal parade for naming Verse 19, now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. There wasn't a a helper that was suitable for him, that, that matched him. 
There's a, there's a dog. There's a giraffe. Dog, man's best friend, but no, he would not do. Why would God put this pause here? Why not immediately create Eve? Why this animal naming parade? We're not told explicitly, but I wonder if part of it is because God knew it wasn't good for him to be alone. But he wanted Adam to know it wasn't good for him to be alone either. So he goes through this exercise and sees boy dog, girl dog, boy giraffe, girl giraffe. But just me, Adam. Where's my helper? Where's, where's my counterpart? And so, verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. While he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, verse 24, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Do you notice there, when, when the Lord God brings her to the man, he breaks out in song. These are the first recorded words of any person, of any man. His first words, this at last. You get the sense that he was waiting. During that animal naming parade, he was waiting, 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 waiting. And now he says, this at last, this, this at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So he, he names her and he's amazed by her. So you see here, there's this equality. They're made in the image of God, male and female, but there's distinction. God intentionally did not make them the same way. God could have made one pile of dust, Adam. Another pile of dust, Eve. Done. He could have done that. He was intentional in the ways he made everything on day one, two, and three, four, five, and six. There was order. There was wisdom. There was intentionality. Why did he do it this way? It wasn't by accident. There was a purpose behind this, and the purpose was to show there's equality. They're both made in the image of God, but there's a difference. There's a distinction. They're not interchangeable. Male and female, they are different by design, different by design, divine design, different by original creation. She was taken out of man so that, in a sense, man would be incomplete without her. So that every marriage was not just a union, but a reunion. I've, I've said these things in previous messages. I just want to reiterate this again. This is a, a beautiful thing that God has done. There was equality. There was distinction. They're not, inter- they're not interchangeable. And there was a certain purpose for this. It was, there was a certain purpose for this. It was so that they could together glorify God, image God, and obey God in ways that they couldn't do alone. Uh, one author, Alastair Roberts, he says this about the difference between man and woman. He says, it's not about difference from each other, but difference for each other. It's not about difference from each other, but for each other. They were made differently to fit each other perfectly, to serve each other perfectly, to complement each other perfectly. There was this goodness in this male and femaleness. And, and, and here I want to... I emphasize one of the purposes of God making male and female, and we've talked about this before, is that they would be able to be fruitful and multiply. God said, go and fill the earth, multiply, be fruitful, fill the earth and subdue it. Adam could not do that alone. Adam with a group of loyal dogs could not do that alone. Adam needed a helper who would help him to multiply, 
be fruitful, fill the earth. And God created, therefore, man and woman, male and female, to do just that. So God had a purpose. He had a purpose in creating the male and female. And it wasn't just two buddies hanging out or two girlfriends hanging out, but it was male and female so that they could fulfill God's purpose perfectly. Now, based on what we've just talked about so far, I want to draw out a few things that would be, I think, uh, applicable to today's questions and situations. First, I want you to understand that this, this whole notion of male and female, and, and by the way, in, in, in this message, I'm going to use the words gender and sex interchangeably, right? So sometimes in our world today, there are some people that say those are two different things. Male or female is your sex, but then your gender is something different. And, and I would say no. On the basis of Scripture, there's no difference. Your gender is directly tied to your biological sex. So I will be using those interchangeably here uh, this morning. And if you have questions about that, please feel free to talk to me. But I want you to understand some things. First, gender is not man-made. It's not a social construct. God created it. The idea of male and female is the idea of God. It was created by God. It's not man-made. So if I could put it this way, gender is not a social construct. God created it. We live in a time that there's questions about this, that, oh, no, no, male and female is just what we make it to be. We get to decide what it means to be male or female. We get to decide if there's other uh, other choices besides male and female. And no, God made them in his image, male and female. He created them. That's by God's design. And so gender is not a social construct. It's created by God. Secondly, gender is not on a spectrum. It's binary by God's design. Binary meaning it's either A or B. It's either on or off. The right hand or the left hand. There's not a spectrum. It's not like, well, on a scale of 1 to 10. On a scale of black to white, there's all this gray in the middle. No, no, no. When God made mankind male and female, he made them as binary choices, one or the other, male or female, not male to female. There's not a spectrum in between. There's not somebody who's more male than another or somebody who's more female or less female. There's just male or there's female. That's by God's design. And by the way, when you consider the purpose for God's creation, if God created mankind and commanded them to be fruitful and multiply, that can only happen with male and female by two binary choices, not something in the middle. So gender is not a social construct. Gender is not on a spectrum. But also, gender is not fluid, it's fixed. What do I mean by that? So some people use the terms fluid to mean it's changeable. Can your gender be changed? And the Bible says no. Gender is not fluid, it's fixed by God. It's determined by God. God made mankind male and female, and he commands us to keep those distinctions even in the way that we dress. There is a difference between men and women, and it does not change. There's, there's a boundary between, and we do not cross that boundary. And that's by God's design. That's by God's good design. That's by his good design. And so uh, perhaps you are familiar with this passage in Deuteronomy 22. You can listen or you can turn there. Deuteronomy 22, verse 5. It says there, A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. A woman's not to wear man's clothing. A man's not to wear women's clothing. This is why I don't wear skinny jeans. I'm just just kidding. Just kidding. 
just picking on that just for fun. But this is important to understand. God says there is a difference, there's a distinction, and we're commanded to keep that distinction. And maybe you're asking, okay, but, hmm, in those days, they didn't wear pants like we do. In those days, they wore robes. Or you go to Scotland, you play a bagpipe, if you're a man, and you wear a kilt. What's the difference between a kilt and a skirt? What's the difference? If I could put it this way, what a man wears versus what a woman wears, those, those are culturally defined. Every society has different cultural norms about what women wear and what men wear, but if you go to every culture in the world, there's a distinction between what men wear and what women wear. There's a difference. There's a difference in every culture, no matter what culture, what age, what time you're living in, there has always been clear markers of this is what a woman wears, this is what a man wears. There might be some pieces of clothing that could go either way, but there are categories that everyone understands. And God says we are not to cross that boundary. The universal principle is do not cross that boundary. There might be a cultural expression of that that might look different. So gender is not fluid. It's fixed by God. We, we cannot alter that. It's, it's given by God. That's that, the fourth sub-point here. Gender is not self-determined. It's given by God. Remember earlier we read in, in Psalm 139, we are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. Uh, I enjoyed learning science as a, as a, as a high school and college kid, and uh, biology was always very interesting to me. And, and perhaps you know this, but genetically, your gender is determined right at the point of conception. Before you're even born, your gender is determined by God, and it's built into every single cell in your body. Every single cell in your body <clears throat> has very clearly the instructions, the DNA, the, the genetic material to say, you are a boy or you are a girl. You have two X chromosomes, female. XY chromosome, male. Every single cell in your body has the stamp of God's gender that he gave to you. It's not something we can choose. It is something that we receive from God. It's not something we can change. It is fixed by God. It is not something that is somewhere in between. It's male or female. This is all by God's design. And, and if, if I can put it this way, part of our creatureliness, part of being a creature created by God means that we humble ourselves. We humble ourselves under God's design. We do not reject it. We do not run away from it. To reject God's choice is to assert our own authority over God. And we don't have that right. We don't have that right. Each person's biologically determined sex and gender is a good gift of God's creation, and so we should learn to, to accept it and live within that. And so, uh, one of the things that I've made it a point to do is to try to instill these things in my children, right? So I didn't tell them I'd say this, but that's okay. Uh, we try to take them out one-on-one -on -one to just talk with them about all kinds of different things. And I, so I take my daughter out on dates, and I take my boys out on man time. We don't, we don't call it dates. Distinction. <laughs> and I made it a habit to sit down with them, and we talk about all kinds of things, but even from a young age, I would say to my sons, 
God made you a boy, and that's a good thing. God made you a boy, and that's a good thing, and that's different from your sister. I'd say to my daughter, God made you a girl, and that's a beautiful thing. That's a great thing. And that's different from your brothers. That's why they can't punch you. (laughs) They usually listen to that one, but, you know. We need to be, if you're a parent of a child, if you're a parent here and you have children, I want to encourage you to, to instill this in them from the beginning. God's good design, it's a good thing. You're a boy, and that's a good thing. God made you a boy, and that's a good thing. It's not chosen by you. It's not chosen even by mom and dad. God chose what you are, and it's a good thing. Praise God for that. God made you a girl. That's wonderful. Praise God for that. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that beautiful? And and what that requires is that you yourself rejoice in God's design, right? That you yourself see the beauty of God's design, that you rejoice in it, and you're able to tell your children, this is a good thing. This is a God-glorifying thing. This is a wonderful thing. You know, so it's, it's, it's interesting that... Uh, the, the world today has, has so many questions, and, 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 and there's even some pushback against some of this. And, and, you know, what makes this topic difficult is that there are, on one side, unhelpful stereotypes driven by cultural expectations that are not in the Bible that we should be careful to, to avoid. But at the same time, there are real differences that the Bible lays out that are not always politically correct today. And how do we walk through that with biblical wisdom? And so that's why this is, this is, this is difficult, but I, I want to make this clear. One, one of the things that really separates men from women... Oh, running out of time already. Okay. One of the things that separates men from women is that biological sex, that issue of procreation. God made us differently. Every cell in our body shows that difference, but our bodies are organized towards certain ends. If I can put it this way, this is kind of borrowing from some different authors and some different um, theologians from the past. Uh, somebody who's male is somebody who is able to generate life in another. Somebody who's female is able to generate life in themselves. What do I mean by that? Uh, a female, a woman, is one who is able to be pregnant. And even our, even the youngest children understand that. They see a woman with a big old belly and Hopefully they confirm that it's actual pregnancy first. But they say, there's a baby in there. There's a baby in there. Wow. Is it a boy or a girl? Wow, there's going to be a baby. They're they're excited. They understand that. There's a difference between men and women in that women are able to generate life within themselves and a a man generates life in another. And our bodies are ordered by God, designed by God, made by God towards that potential end. And I think sometimes in our world today, there's all this focus on what can men do versus what can women do. And there's almost this idea that, oh, to, to say that there are differences, that there are different roles, there are different emphases, different strengths, different weaknesses, uh, is, is not politically correct today. But I think we need to understand there are some beautiful differences by God's design. Rather than focusing on what a woman can or cannot do in comparison to a man, I think there's... There's one thing that is, by God's design, a beautiful gift that we too often overlook. A woman has the blessing of being able to be a mother. And not that every woman has to be a mother or will become a mother, 
But God has designed women with the potential of being able to bear life in themselves, to give birth, to, to nurse that child with her own body. Uh, Christopher Ash wrote a book on, on marriage that I've found so helpful, and he said this, uh, listen, having children and giving years of life to costly, prayerful nurture of those children is precisely the distinctive means by which most married people do serve God. Now listen to this. We do not serve God rather than having children. We serve God by having children. Never despise the significance of parenthood in the service of God. And he says this, listen to this, for many, especially, dare I say it, mothers, what they do as parents will be more significant in eternity than the most glittering career in the eyes of the world. Now, please don't misunderstand me. This does not mean that a a woman cannot work and have a career. That's not what this is saying. That's not what the Bible says. But there is a unique, God-given gift and blessing that a woman is able to bear life in a unique way that a man cannot, and have that unique bond and connection that a man cannot, that a father cannot. There are different roles. There are different roles. And lest we take in the thinking of the world that undermines parenthood, that undermines motherhood, we need to recognize the ways that God has made us, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and then praise Him for it. In most homes, when a child skins their knee, who do they cry out for? Mom. Let's not undermine the goodness and beauty of God's design in this. And so God's goodness in creation, God's goodness in male and female, and I'll I'll finish very briefly and we'll pick this up next week, God's goodness in manhood and womanhood. And again, I want to be careful not to add to Scripture, not to exaggerate what Scripture says or to ignore what Scripture says. I want to stick with what Scripture says. But I I want to just end with this since we have some of the children here today. If you are a believer, you're called to godliness. You're called to Christ-likeness. But our godliness, our Christ-likeness, if you're a believer, you're called to be like Christ, but the way that you live out your Christ-likeness is filtered through whether you're a male or a female. It does look different. And so I, I often will say to my boys, God made you a boy, and that's good. God made you to be strong, and that's good. God made you to be strong so that you can serve and protect others who are weaker than you. God made you strong so that you can serve and protect your sister. That you'd be kind and gentle towards her. That you would use your strength to glorify God by serving others. God gave you strength not to serve yourself, not to please yourself, not to take for yourself, but God gave you strength to serve others, to lay down your life for others. And and the, the, the clearest example of this is, is Jesus. In Ephesians 5, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How different would it be if it was, quote-unquote, the, the physically, generally, physically weaker spouse that had to die for the other? What if the weaker had to die for the stronger? What if the weaker gave up her life for her husband? Christianity would be flipped all over on its head, wouldn't it? But instead, Christ, the creator, Christ, God who rules over all, Christ, the one who is almighty, 
Christ is the one who takes on flesh, becomes man, and dies for us. And he says to husbands, you are to love your wives that way. Yes, you're the head of your home. Yes, you lead in your home. Yes, God made you with a certain set of strengths. But you're to use that strength not to take. You're not to use that strength to be over others. But you use that strength to lay down your life. There's a beauty to God's design. And that beauty is seen, yes, in marriage. Yes, in parenthood. Yes, also in singleness. But that beauty is seen ultimately and most importantly in Christ who died for us the one who is infinitely strong to die for the one who is infinitely weak and sinful. And so by God's good design, yes, there's creation, yes, there's male and female, but even in our manhood and in our womanhood, in in the sense of how we live out those roles, Jesus has given us an example. He's given us an example that we are to have the strong lay down their lives for the weak to serve others. There's much more to say. We'll pick this up next week and talk about how this answers some of the questions and confusion of the world.